0: in on him and um, as he was teaching and he was outside he was by the Sea of Galilee Lake Gennesaret and uh, there was no PA system and so on and so the people started to uh, crowd him and Jesus gets into a boat you might remember this and uh, he tells the owner of the boat uh, who happened to be Simon Peter um, who was out cleaning his nets after fishing all night and catching nothing uh, to push him out into the water a little ways out into the lake. And so Peter does, and Jesus sits down in the boat, and he continues uh, teaching from offshore a little bit. And uh, I'm sure that Jesus knew that uh, if he was out in the water a little bit, his voice would carry, and he could talk to the whole crowd. Uh, Barb and I did a wedding uh, a while back uh, for this uh, couple, and I uh, was up in New York State, and uh, the dad of the bride had built a house way on top of a hill. And there was a big, long driveway like this that went way up to the top of the hill. And uh, the whole front of the house up there was glass. And then uh, because this little girl at the time loved Snoopy, the dad pushed out a lake way down at the bottom of the hill, made a man-made lake in the shape of Snoopy. So when you were up in the cabin and you looked down, you could see, you know, Snoopy Lake. So when it came time for her to be married, she said, you know, I'd love to get married. Uh, on Snoopy Lake, and so the dad, this is quite a dad, he built a dock out into Snoopy Lake, and he put a gazebo out in the middle of Snoopy Lake, and that's where the wedding was going to be, and so all around the lake, there were chairs, all these white chairs for all the guests and so forth, and so the day of the wedding came, and they hired two flautists, flute players, uh, to provide the music, and uh, I thought, wow, two flutes outside, I don't know that that's going to work well but we put them in the gazebo. And so when they played these two flutes, um, the music just bounced off the water and filled the air. It was like the sound of music. I mean, it was beautiful. And so we're all set, and uh, then on top of that, the dad had hired a horse-drawn carriage Okay, to go up to this house at the top, pick up the bride with all of her attendants in this horse-drawn carriage, and they came down this big, long driveway, you know, coming all the way down, and the whole crowd is there, and we're all watching, and, you know, oohing and on and so forth, and, and all of a sudden, the horse didn't like the particular notes that the flute was playing. <laughs> So they're all the way down the driveway. They're right behind where everybody's sitting and so forth. And they're starting to get out. And the horse does one of these, right, right, and takes off, right? And the girls are screaming. And a couple of girls are jumping out of the carriage. The guy who's supposed to be the attendant of the horse is chasing after the thing, trying to get him to calm down and so forth. But the music bounced off the water. And that's what I picture Jesus, like getting in this boat, pushing out a little ways, and being able to talk in a very calm voice and have everybody Hear him as the sound just bounced off the water. Well, let me read it for you. We're in Luke chapter 5, first couple of verses. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And uh, he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little from land. Okay, and so... Uh, after Jesus uh, finished teaching, he, he sits down. It says he, he sat down in the boat, and he taught the people from the boat. And then uh, after he finished speaking, the next verse, verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, he says to Simon. And uh, Simon answers him, next verse, master, um, you know what? We, we toiled all night long, and we didn't catch anything. But, you know, at your word, I'll let down the nets. Now, it's kind of interesting. I think we could probably identify uh, a little bit here. Uh, Haven't you ever called Jesus master and then at the next breath argued with him? Master, you don't know what you're talking about. That's Peter, right? Uh, We all love Peter because he's a lot like us. And um, I think sometimes the Lord asks us to do something, and, and, and we say, all right, and I'll give it a shot. But, you know, I gave it a shot, and it didn't really work too well, and then the Lord comes back and so says, I want you to do this again. And we say, Master, you know, uh, I already tried that. I already did what you said, but, you know, it didn't work out. And, um, and besides that, I'm thinking, Peter, if I'm Peter, I'm saying to myself, my goodness, I just cleaned the nets. This is a pain in the neck. You know, I just took all day to clean the nets and and besides, I was out there, and I didn't catch anything. And, you know, um, the fish just aren't in this part of the, the lake. But, you know, I'll do it. And so he does. And uh, the next verse, you know what happens, right? Uh, verse 6 says, uh, when they had done this, when they did what the Lord asked them to do, uh, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both boats so that they both began to sink, right? I mean, so it pays to listen to Jesus, maybe time and time again. Uh, So both of the boats are now sinking, and all of a sudden, Peter has an aha moment, right? All of a sudden, Peter takes cognizance of what's going on here, and uh, he has a little bit of an aha moment, and he says, uh, says, next verse says, verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees... And he said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Go away. Leave me alone. I don't want to be... I, I'm intimidated when I understand who you are. Who is this Jesus? Who can do this? And, and Peter starts to figure out who Jesus must be. Maybe he realizes that only God could do something like this. And, and when he senses who Jesus is, he falls down in front of Jesus... And he says, depart from me. Just, just leave me alone. Just leave the vicinity. And uh, I want to suggest to you that whenever we're around Jesus, I mean really around, that we kind of have the same reaction. We become aware of our unworthiness. Isn't that true? If you get close enough to Jesus, you don't only learn who he is, but you learn who you are. If you get within the light of who he is, all of a sudden you realize that, you know, who I am. And that's really the two sides of getting to know, uh, getting to know Jesus is one thing, but then also getting to know the truth about ourselves is another thing. Um, and so I just think this is, uh, you know, this reminded me of um, Isaiah. You might remember in Isaiah uh, chapter 6 in the Old Testament, Isaiah has a similar experience Uh, We read these words, in the year of King Uzziah that he died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I had a vision and I got to see the Lord high and sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Um, And the train of his robe filled the temple, verse 3, and the angels called out to each other and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Verse 5, and Isaiah says, woe is me. Woe is me. Like today we would say, I'm toast. If this happened to you and you could have a vision of who God is and you get close to Jesus and, and see him for who he is, Isaiah's like, you know, woe is me. For I am lost and I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. God doesn't have to say anything. We just have to get close enough. In fact, I think if you were honest with yourself, and I was honest with myself, the reason that you don't read your Bible more is because when you get close to God, you're uncomfortable. The reason we don't pray more and spend more time in the presence of God is because as soon as I'm in the presence of God, I'm undone, and I don't like it. I don't like how it feels. I'm undone. I realize who he is, and somehow I know that he made me to be like him, but I'm not. And so I'm like Peter. I'm like Isaiah. I'm like, leave me alone. I'm going to keep my distance. I'm going to live someplace where it's safe, where it's comfortable. You know, and um, Isaiah has this experience. um, But look at this, the next verse. Um, The next verse, verse 6, says, Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. God is holy, holy, holy. You can't touch him. But he also loves you and has made a way for us to live close to him. He also forgives our sins, right? He's not just holy, and he's not just totally righteous. He's also loving. And so just being around Jesus surfaces our unworthiness, but if we stick around long enough, we'll find out that God has made a way to overcome that uncomfortableness and to discover the love that God has for us. And how intense that love really is. We're immediately humbled. Almost instinctively, we know. Peter brings it up. The Lord never says anything to him. But there's this instant sort of uh, conviction. And so Peter says, you know, depart from me. Leave me alone. It's the equivalent of us saying, I'm not going to read my Bible, I'm not going to spend time in prayer in any significant fashion until I'm backed into a corner, until I've got some disease I can't cure, until, you know, I need some surgery that scares me to death. And then all of a sudden, that humility and that desire and that need for God drives us. And sometimes people ask, you know, why, if God's so loving, does he allow all those terrible things to happen in our life? And I would suggest that perhaps it's because We need that in order to understand who he is and who we are. And that he does it to draw us into that relationship with himself. He does it to show us how much love he really does have for us and how to access it and how to live in it. And um, again, I think that this is uh, just such a natural thing. I mean, if we continue in uh, Luke chapter 5, we see that all of Peter's friends, um, you know... um, Peter says depart from me I'm a sinful man Uh, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were James and John sons of Zebedee uh, who were partners with Simon but it doesn't say that they fell down at Jesus feet they were probably uh, preoccupied with the blessing of all the fish and doing all of this but Peter it came to his realization it came to his consciousness what was really going on and so what does the Lord say now? This is interesting. Uh, what does the Lord say to Peter? Notice, second part of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, look, do not be afraid. Fear not. Here we are again. You know what? Jesus recognizes that behind Peter's saying, stay away from me, leave me alone. I'm not worthy to be in the vicinity of who you are. Jesus realized that the root of that is fear. Because why? Because once you realize that you're a sinful person, you know that sin creates separation from God. And separation from God creates fear. If you think God is against you, most people have kind of a low-grade fever knowing that God doesn't approve of how they're living and what they're doing and knowing that they've fallen short of what God made them to be and, and so forth. And so... If they don't think about it too much, they just kind of live with it and miss out on what God's trying to give. And so Jesus comes right to the point. He says, look, stop being afraid. I'm for you. I've I've done something in Jesus to reconcile you back to myself that covers every last sin in your life. Everything that offends me, I've put on him and he's gone to the cross and paid for it and so on. And then uh, Jesus says this, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. If you will accept what I'm trying to give you, if you'll let me love you, it'll change your whole life. It'll change your whole priority in life. It'll change your whole focus in life. I mean, you'll still go on living here in the world and so forth, but all of a sudden there'll be a whole new dimension to your living. It'll change everything. He says to Peter, just this old fisherman, you know, don't be afraid from now on, you'll be catching men. And when they, verse 11, when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. And so, again, um, think with me a little bit. When a person recognizes Jesus for who he is, that he is, in fact, God, and then uh, recognizes themselves for who they really are, who we really are, we're humbled. We're unworthy. We know it. You know, um, But God loves us, and everything changes. Now, I want to say, you know, Jesus blessed Peter and those guys with a boatload of fish. It's pretty cool, right? I mean, it's kind of neat. However, Jesus has blessed you and I with way more than a boatload of fish. Just stop and think for a minute. What would you rather have from Jesus? A boatload of fish? Or the promise of eternity in heaven with him on the other side. What would you rather have? Would you rather have a couple boatloads of fish, or would you rather be forgiven by the God of the universe who made you for every last thought, word, deed that you ever did that offended him, past, present, and everything for the future that you might possibly mess up on? What would you rather have? A boatload of fish? or what Jesus has already done for us. I think this is so important. Uh, Jesus blessed Peter with a boatload of fish to convince him that God's for him, even though he's unworthy, even though he's sinful, even though he's a failure, even though he wants Jesus to go away, God blesses him with a couple boatloads of fish. But God has blessed us so much more. Just think about what God has done for us in Christ and what Jesus has done. I want to say that what Jesus did for us is really, really big. I mean, really big. And uh, we are the recipients. It's eternal. It replaces death with life. What Jesus did for you and I has the capacity to replace sadness with joy. What Jesus did for you and I is able to change anxiety into peace. When Jesus blesses us, our aimlessness gives way to purpose and our fears give way to hope. What would you rather have? A couple boatloads of fish? Or all that Jesus has accomplished for us already? And then Jesus changes the whole focus of our lives, right? He puts a calling on our lives. He says, you know what? You're not going to just be a fisherman anymore. You're going to You're going to catch people. You're going to become a servant leader. You're going to become an influencer for the kingdom of God. I've got a whole new plan for your life. And um, you're going to be a fisher of men. It changes their whole focus. From now on, you're going to be about something more important than fish, something more important than just getting by in this life. You're going to be about the kingdom of God. Not just the kingdom of this world. In fact, Matthew 6, 33 says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I, God, will provide you with everything else you need to get by in this world. Seek first the kingdom of God and what's right, and I, God, will take care of. You're going to switch your whole priority. Biggest thing in your life, Peter, before you met Jesus was catching fish. It's a piece of cake for Jesus to catch fish. i got something bigger in mind for your life. From now on, you're going to be catching people. Um, when we become Christians and we become a God-first believer and join God in influencing people into the kingdom of God, um, God says, I'll take care of your needs here. Change your priority list. From now on, Peter, you'll be a servant of mine. You'll lead people to God like Jesus is doing, a servant Leader. And you know, the same thing happened to Isaiah, right? We used Isaiah as an example of this. Um, as we continue on with uh, Isaiah, next verse uh, back in Isaiah 6 says, You know, I heard the voice of the Lord. I heard God speaking. I heard the voice of the Lord. And uh, the Lord was saying, Hey, wh- who can I send? Wh- who's going to go and affect my plan in the world? Who's going to, who can I go? Who can I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Send me, I'll go. Here I am, send me, I'll go. And, uh, and I think Peter has the same kind of thing. He drops his nets, he drops everything, and he follows Jesus. It's the kind of reaction that we have uh, when we get to know God in a personal way. Um, I want to ask you this morning, you know, have you heard uh, the call... Of God in your own spirit? Do you have a sense that God is calling you to something more than just getting by in life? I know we give a lot of time and effort and energy to just getting by, but suppose God was serious about this and that He had a dream for your life. Have you heard the call in your spirit of God? Have you seen Him for who He is? And um, do you understand He wants all of us to be a player? In his kingdom. Uh, In fact, he's got a specific job for all of us to do. uh, To be a kingdom influencer. You know, to become a Christian is absolutely free. I mean, it's a gift. It's totally God's gift to us. There's nothing you can do to contribute to your own salvation, to becoming a Christian. But to become a God-first believer is costly. To become a God-first person like Peter became when he saw who Jesus really was is to you know drop everything else and get a new priority in life and to come follow jesus to become a follower not just to allow jesus to be our savior um it's a it's the best thing in the world to be a christian i mean it's huge right uh, the bible uh, a christian is a person who who recognizes you know what i'm a sinner i've fallen short romans three twenty three. you know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god that's me and we become aware of that right and we realized that because of that, we're separated from God, and that really what we deserve is death. Romans six says, you know, the wages of sin is death, and the free gift of God is eternal life. And so we realized there's no way by our own efforts, there's no amount of good deeds, there's no lifestyle changes that I could ever make that would make it right between God and I. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Um, Paul talks about it in Ephesians. You're probably familiar with these verses. But in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, for by grace you've been saved. Grace is undeserved favor. That's how we achieve salvation, by grace, God's grace, through faith. That's it. And uh, this is not your own doing. You can't do this on your own. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that nobody can boast about being a Christian. Okay? However, the next verse, verse 10, is kind of the conclusion of this thought. And here's what it says. For we are his workmanship. You are not an accident. How you are put together, what your personality is like, the various gifts that you have, the talents you have, the parents that you had, the experiences that you grew up with, on and on, all served to make you who you are today. You are God's workmanship, okay, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God has a plan for your life, and he calls us to that plan. And so the simple question is, you know, have you heard the call of God on your particular life and what you're supposed to do in this great plan of God? There's a place for everybody. Yes, our salvation is totally free, but at some point, if we get close enough to Jesus and we allow the God of the universe to speak to us, he calls us to our part in his kingdom work. He calls us to be a servant leader, right? to be an influencer of other people, to be influencing people into uh, the kingdom of God. And so when we put our trust in the good news that Jesus, the only God-man, died in our place Uh, The good news that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, that God now smiles at us, right, through Christ. Uh, It's the best thing in the world, I think, to be a Christian. But something happens to us. Bit by bit, we have this realization of who Jesus really is, like happened to Peter on the beach. All of a sudden, it dawned on him, this is the God of the universe. This is the God-man. And all of a sudden... um, Peter has this, Isaiah has this, Christians have this, we wake up to who God really is and we begin to realize that what God is doing is really the most important thing, it's the only thing that really matters, and that God has called us to be players in his kingdom. Uh, But have you heard the call, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, Uh, it's all through the scriptures, go into the world, make disciples, uh, Matthew 28, take up your cross, follow me, As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. Uh, There's a role for every one of us to play. Uh, We're called by God to serve him, and we serve God by serving other people. We serve God by serving other people, by loving our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, We are influencers of people's thoughts. We influence people's feelings. We influence people's decisions, choices, by serving them, Um, Again, Jesus says in uh, Matthew, Matthew 23, he says, you know what? The greatest among you shall be your servant. Remember this? The greatest among you will be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And that's because Jesus said his way of leadership is entirely different than the world's way of leadership. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, Jesus calls his disciples together, and he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, the politicians... The secular world uh, business operates like this. Uh, The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over other people and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. That's how it is in the kingdom of the world. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus says this, it shall not be like that among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, servant leadership. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the son of man jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for each one of us the idea of leadership in the kingdom of god is exactly flips uh, on its head the idea of leadership in our world and so jesus is our leader but first he's our servant how did jesus get to be our leader How is it that you and I give our loyalty and our allegiance to Jesus first? Well, because he first became a servant. He first went to the cross in our place. He first humbled himself and emptied himself of his glory and became a human being so that he could uh, address our greatest need. And I want to suggest that God always goes first, right? And uh, it's remarkable that the God of the universe would become a servant first. And a leader, second, an influencer, second. And so in um, John's gospel, again, Jesus uh, says kind of the same thing. John says here in John chapter 1, uh, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. Think about this. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus is God. The only God. Who is at the Father's side? Who is that? Jesus. It's a verse that supports the notion of the Trinity, the the truth of the Trinity, that God is three persons, but He's only one God. Nobody has ever seen God, the only God uh, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. If you um, back up to verse 14 in this chapter, uh, talking about Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Uh, These verses say, you know, Moses, when he came into the world, brought the law. We got the Ten Commandments from Moses. But Jesus brought grace and truth. Nobody could live up to the Ten Commandments, right? It was a setup. It was just getting ready for Jesus to come full of grace and full of truth. If you go back to verse 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world didn't know him the true light is coming into the world is the light of jesus so i yeah, you know, i just uh i have this uh see this thing you know what these things are you, ever, you remember these things all right they're for people who have add and stuff like that i have one it's uh I don't even know what it's called, but I just call it my spinner. It's, it's like a paperweight on my desk, and I keep it there all the time because, to me, um, I think about my Christian life a lot in terms of this, right? There are like three orbiting orbits that are happening around my life all the time, right? And um, the first one, you know, we call it here at church, we call it experiencing the love of God, I think this is where your Christian life starts, and this is how it's sustained. We first have to experience the gospel, the good news, that, yes, God is holy, 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 and he's awesome, and I know the natural reaction is to stay away. But the truth is, this same holy, awesome, truthful, holy God loves me. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I need this to, like, circle around my life all the time. I need that orbit of God's love to be a reality in my Christianity. And I love it. Like um, this past uh, week, Barb and I were away. We went to Camp of the Woods uh, up in New York, Christian camp. And um, all through that time, we're experiencing the reality. It's like when we come to church here and we gather together and we sing certain songs that uh, reemphasize the fact that, yes, the God of the universe is awesome and he's holy and he's fearful and, and so forth. But guess what? He loves me. And I need that. And I love it. And we get it through the music and, and, uh, you know, it comes through other people. We saw some people that we know up there and so forth and they're happy to see you. And, you know, I I need constantly to to be affirmed in the love of God. One of the reasons that I like to read the scriptures is because over and over in a a million different ways God convinces me. He really does love me. And I know I'm not worth it. I know I'm not worthy. I don't bring anything to the table. I mean, this is God, the God of the universe, who made everything and needs nothing and chooses to love me. I need to to really believe that. That's where I think the Christian life starts, and that's how it gets sustained, okay? The second uh, kind of orbit that's always going around is um, uh, to embrace the truth of God. First, it's experiencing the love of God. Then it's embracing the truth of God. God is the source of all truth. All right? And so the more we study the scriptures and allow God to teach us, um, but it's not just so that we know. It's embracing that truth. It's bringing that truth into mind. It's altering my life with that truth. I want my life to be in shape. Somebody at uh, this camp that we were at this past week said they were at Billy Graham's funeral. And uh, one of the people who knew Billy Graham the most got up and said, I've never met a man, I've never met a man who more did not want to disappoint God with his life than Billy Graham. What a great aspiration. I don't want to disappoint God. But in order for me to not disappoint God, I need to embrace his truth, not my own truth. Not what I think. It really doesn't matter. I want to know what he thinks. Right? Right? So like this past week at this camp where we're at, they, had, they always have a chapel speaker and then they have a Bible teacher. And the chapel speaker was like uh, the president of a seminary and uh, just loaded with all kinds of information. And the Bible teacher had just retired. He spent his entire life teaching the Old Testament at Bethel College, as a matter of fact, our church's school, Bethel University. And uh, it was just a wealth. I just sat and drank in because he knew more You know, he's probably forgotten more than I've ever known about the Old Testament. I mean, it's just totally rich stuff. You know, you can't exhaust. So to embrace the truth of God, to experience the love of God, to embrace the truth of God. And then the last thing is, hey, enlist in the service of God. Hear the call of God that everything that's happened to you in your life has not been an accident. It's had meaning and purpose, and God's calling us to take all of that and to use it to advance his kingdom, to influence people, to be fishers of men, to do more than just get by in this life. And so when I think about my Christian life, I have this right on my desk. It's my little paperweight, and I sit there, and I spin this, and I think, you know, how can I experience the love of God today, and how can I help somebody else experience the love of God? What could I do? How could I serve somebody so that they have an experience through me of the love of God, right? How can I do that? What can I do to embrace more truth? What do I know that God's already saying to me? I don't want to be like Peter and say, master, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I don't do that. I'm going to embrace the truth that God speaks to us, right? And then how can we serve? How can we enlist And serving in the kingdom of God. And when my Christian life happens the best, all three of these things are spinning around. And they each have their own orbit. You know, they're not static. It's not like, all right, I know the gospel and I figured out God loves me. That's the end of that. What's next? No, this is an ongoing spinning thing, too. This is always increasing and spinning faster and faster and and more and more and so forth. And so this to me is like a great illustration of how the Christian life is supposed to live, be lived. Experience the love of God. That's the gospel. Embrace the truth of God and enlist in the service of God. What is God calling me to do? And let me just say this in closing. Um, God calls us to enlist in his service, but he calls us to be distributors, not manufacturers. This is really good news, right? God has already manufactured the gospel. God has already manufactured the good news, the truth. We're called to be distributors. We're simply taking what God gives us and giving it to other people. We get to take the riches of God's love, the riches of God's grace, the riches of God's forgiveness, the riches of God's promises, the riches of God's truth, and distribute them to other people. Whatever your calling is, it'll be about that. To take from God the riches of his grace And to distribute that grace by being graceful to the next person. Giving the next person the undeserved favor that God gives you. To take the promises of God, the truth, the wisdom of God, and just distribute it to the next person. Our job is not to manufacture, but just to distribute what God supplies. Um, We're in John, John chapter 1, verse 16. From his fullness, we have all received Grace upon grace. If you're a believer and you're walking anywhere in the vicinity of Jesus, you have received grace after grace after undeserved favor after favor after favor that we don't deserve. And God says, now, I'm loading you up with that, and I want you to take it and just give it away to the next person so that they can see me living in you. We're called to influence other people into the kingdom of God. In um, Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 6, you know, Jesus taught this principle. Um, In Luke chapter 6, in verse 35, again, um, here's what he says. uh, Love your enemies. Anybody got any enemies? Love your enemies. Take the riches of my love that you don't deserve, because you were my enemies when Jesus died for you. And I want you to take that love and go find who you don't like. Find who's offended you and love them, because then people will see me in you, and that's what I'm calling you to, to influence other people, be fishers of men. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Wow, that's really bad investment advice. (laughs) Lend and expect nothing in return, Jesus says. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. And look, if you do that, you will be sons of the Most High God. For he is kind to the ungrateful, you and I, and the evil. And the evil. He is merciful, even as your father is merciful. Look at this. Judge not, you won't be judged. Condemn not, you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, um, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use... It will be measured back to you. The people who give the most have the most to give because that's the way it works in the kingdom of God. The more you hear the call to be an influencer of people, a fisher of men, and find a way to serve people because leadership really is about serving, the more God will bless you to be able to pass on to others. Um, I think a good place where this... uh, I know I said I'd quit, but... um, this is really good. Two, two more passages of scripture. All right, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. Here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am only by the grace of God. Anything that's any good from, that's come from my life has come because of the goodness, the undeserved favor of God towards me. I am what I am. This is the great apostle Paul. He says, look, I, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's it. That's all I've got to go on is the grace of God. And his grace toward me, this is the other side of grace, right? His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than anybody else, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Once the grace of God gets in you, it changes you. It makes you want to work for the kingdom. It makes you want everybody to know how great and good and glorious God really is. You want everybody to know the truth about god and how much he loves and so on and one last passage in second corinthians chapter five again um i want i just want to emphasize this for everybody please don't sit there and say yeah this is for the guy next to me okay no this is for you and for me it's for everybody and so in second corinthians chapter five uh verse 17 therefore if anybody is in christ anybody that's a christian okay He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, wait a minute. God gave us the ministry, the business of reconciliation. Us. How how did he do that? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is what we get to do. Reconciling the world to himself himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We get to go move about the world talking about the fact that while most people think God is against them and and has a grudge against them and knows what, what terrible sinners they are, we get to announce to them, don't you understand the other side of God has forgiven you? The other side of God has taken your stuff and put it on Jesus and wiped it out. So that you could be free, so that you could be saved, so that you could have a future in a place called heaven. God has entrusted that message to us. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, right? On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, how did Paul get there? Verse 14 For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us once the love of christ gets a hold of us whole new priority peter no more just being a fisherman no more just going to work you know and cleaning your nets you're going to be a fisherman but you're going to use it in a way that's going to influence people for god the call of god begins with a call on our lives and so let me just leave you with a question who is it that god would have you serve this week in order that you might influence them And help them understand the truth about God. Because most people in our world do not know the truth about the goodness of God. And live like Peter's initial reaction. Let me just go away from me. I'm sure you've had this experience where you've tried to convince somebody, right? That God loves you. And they've said, look, just leave me alone. Just go away. Stop it. Right? We've all had that experience when you try to share the truth of God's love. Who is it that God would have you serve? so that you could lead them into a relationship with him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father is such a rich passage. Wherever Jesus goes, he always says the right thing, does the right thing. And uh, we learn here, Father, that uh, you started by calling us into a service position. And that you had great plans for Peter. And if we know the rest of the story and we kind of think about Peter's life and what happened to him over the course of his life... How you transformed his life. It all started, Father, when you called him to follow you. And so, Heavenly Father, may we, too, hear that call that you've put on our lives to follow you, to make you first, to be a God-first believer. And as we do that, may you have the freedom, Father, to reorient our lives around your plans for us. And may we be confident, Father, that um, when we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that you'll take care of the rest of the things on this earth. You're an awesome God, better than we think, better than we give you credit for. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.